inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Outlook. Here today on Radio Western, or you may be listening in future as a podcast. How are you doing today, Care? My older sister coming in from Woodstock. Yes, we're doing another pre-record today as we've sort of been doing that in January with Omicron, but we are kind of getting back to the studio, but we're just doing a few more of these from home. Uh, but uh, happy to be here on, I guess this is airing on Valentine's Day, you pointed out. Yeah, it'll be the 14th that this is that you're hearing this if you're catching it uh, when it airs first on Radio Western. So yeah, it's Valentine's Day. So happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. And uh, yeah, I think this book actually t- that we're going to be talking about coming up to here today, Kara, it does tie into uh, Valentine's Day in some way. So yeah. Yeah, a bit of a, a love story and a novella we've recently read by author Heidi Gray McGill, who is our guest today. Another Carrie connection. <laughs> we. You've been lining up so many great connections for this uh, show, and um, I've been mentioning beforehand that we've interviewed a, f- a few authors recently. This is the fourth book, I believe, Care, that we've read over the past few months, specifically for Outlook, and then had the author of the book on, on the air. So uh, this is exciting. Yeah, and if anybody else is out there listening who has a book that's related to disability in any way, it can be memoir, it can be fiction. Uh, we like to support characters in fiction who, are dis- who have disabilities to show readers that there's so many different ways to be in this world. And so, uh, you know, send us an email, outlookonradiowestern at gmail.com if you have any books to recommend or guests. But uh, today we're talking about Heidi's book, which was an exciting novella we read, Brian. Yeah, so that just came out on the 1st of February here, her book, Dial E for Endearment. And uh, yeah, welcome. Sounds like a re- really welcoming title. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you. I appreciate you both having me. Yeah, it's great to meet you. As Brian said, it was a, a Carrie connection here. And uh, you actually give her a shout out on your website. I saw Amy Boviard. Absolutely. Dear friend of mine. And how long have you known Amy? Oh, about a, about a year. I can't even remember how we connected. But when we did, we became fast friends. Yeah, no, she, I found her on, in the blogging world several years ago now. And she featured me on her blog all the way back in 2014, I believe. And uh, She's just, yeah, she's a really warm person and very welcoming and friendly. And uh, I got to meet her there right before the pandemic hit. Oh, fun. To a, to a, a disability uh, sort of conference she put on there in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. She's very talented. Mm-hmm. So Heidi, you're calling in today from North Carolina. Is that right? From South Carolina, just below the border near Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay, because yeah, I don't know... I don't know the Carolinas very well, um, but uh, no, it's so me. interesting. It's our first guest from, from there. So we've had, we've had guests from Ohio before and, you know, some other states there, but not uh, North or South Carolina. So uh, that's great. Well, thank you. I genuinely appreciate you both having me on the show. And that's where your book is based. My book is based in North Carolina in the small town of Blowing Rock, which is one of my favorite places to vacation. Blowing Rock is just a very small, quaint town, um, just a single street on Main Street, and uh, just very welcoming. It's a great place to visit. Hmm. Well, thanks for the recommendation. 
haven't traveled recently, but it's always good to add something to the list of places that others recommend. Well, one of the reasons I do love going there is because I am also visually impaired and going to the Moses H. Cone Park is a wonderful place for me to go hike. And I put that in my book. Uh, the, the roads, um, all of the paths are so well maintained. And it's because at the uh, Moses H. Cone home, he actually did this for his wife who was um, disabled. And he made all of the paths around to be able to manage with a single horse and small carriage so that she could get out and about. And the um, city or state, I can't remember, has maintained those roads, which make it extremely easy for those with any kind of impairment to get around. Wow, so it sounds like it's been there a while then. It has. Hmm. Yeah, that's such a neat uh, connection there because I read about the park and I was wondering as I was reading the book, I was like, are all of these places real? Are some of them real? It was hard sometimes to know. And and the way that you explain the way it's designed, it just it does sound like a neat place. And it you know, makes, makes it sound like something where I would want to go someday because it's... And Carrie, you too. I mean, it's one of those things that comes up a lot that, you know, I want it. I would like to be as a, as a blind person. For me, I love the idea of like, you know, getting off of the road and away from traffic and walking in like a nice trail or a nice quiet area. But I find those areas are often difficult because they are, they're not on sidewalks and they can be kind of confusing when you can't see. And it's also the... The terrain and all these things, if you're, you know, trying to travel independently, can be difficult. So I just think this this park sounds really neat. It is really something, and I've gone several times and taken friends, and um, and it. So all of the places in this book are true. In fact, if you do go, you've got to get a cup of coffee at Camp Coffee Roasters. Mm. <laughs> nice. And that was another thing nice. I was going to ask was like coffee coming up in this book quite a bit. Now I was just curious: is that something? specifically chosen is that is coffee a favorite thing of yours is there is that representing something in your book specifically or brian it's actually kind of funny i love the smell of coffee but i have never acquired a taste for it i'm more of a hot water with lemon or tea drinker but when i um, go to blowing rock most of my girlfriends that uh, i take with me we we always stop at camp coffee roasters and grab a cup of coffee and it's just such a welcoming environment, much like all of Blowing Rock. But when I read their menu and I saw the name of their coffee, uh, the devil made me brew it. I thought, there's a book here. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just, I had to put that coffee shop in there. Hmm. That's great. Because that, that did come up, like, I think it was right in the very beginning of the book that, uh, yes. that made me smile for sure. So Yeah, coffee is such a, a sensory experience. Yes. Yes. I think people enjoy coffee for many different reasons, whether it's just to keep them awake or just uh, the thoughts that it uh, brings when they drink it. But um, I know that Everly, for one, I think it's the connection that she makes in this book with the owners of the shop and, and how it just brings her to a place of consistency, someplace she's able to go every day and be treated as someone who is not defined by that white cane. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like chocolate to me. It's one of those things that's, <laughs> that, that brings up a lot of nostalgic feelings for people and it, the smell and the, the texture and, and the memories it, it, it evokes. So for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So everything in this book is very, it, there's a very comfortable feeling. It's very homey and very comforting, which I really appreciated that at this moment in time in particular. There's a lot going on in, in reality. And uh, that's what I love about fiction. Um, it's still, it's a version of reality, but it can often take you other places that, that can be a little more soothing when you might need that. And so that's what that book 
kind of provided for me the last few days. So I, I appreciate that. Well, thank you for saying that, Carrie. That is kind of an interesting take on the, uh, the thought process. I did place this book directly before the pandemic happened. So it takes place in about 2019. And one of the things that just kept coming back to me as I'm reading this book myself, going back and, and rereading my work, is that it seems to me that when you put yourself into a book, um, so in other words, I am expressing myself through this character, although I am not the character Everly, um, I'm expressing myself through her, there is a comfort level that comes. Um, and I loved being able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a writer myself, that's, that's what I love about writing also. And you, let, you keep people guessing, unless yeah, you do an interview and you. you explicitly get asked or you say whatever you want to reveal or wh whatever you choose not to, people, are, you know, you don't have to know every, every bit of that, what's real and what's part of you and what's, what you got to totally make up or where you get influences. It's fun to discuss that in the way you see fit and uh, however you want to. So. Yes. Well, I would love to know from you guys, have you had any of those same experiences like the tree in the face moments? Because that was a real one for me. <laughs> That's one I, I definitely wrote down in my notes here because I just, it just right away when you read, when, you, when I read that, I just I remembered the sensation because on my street here where I live that I've, you know, walked many times to go to catch the bus for college and all that stuff like there's a couple trees there that often aren't trimmed properly and the branches stick out and it's the worst here in the winter when there's snow on them and then they like hit my eyes a couple times as I'm walking really quickly by and it like scratches my eye and it's like ah but it's uh, yep, <laughs> it just comes exactly. out of nowhere and it's like oh exactly. even though you almost I've, I know that it's going to come up at that spot because I'm so used to that where they don't trim the tree but I always yes. forget right <laughs> and then it's too late but um, but I just love those little moments like that in the book. And I, I think uh, you emphasize it really well and, and you state it really well in a, in a blog post that I was reading, a recent post where you say, when I wrote this story, I purposed in my heart to shed light mm -hmm. on blindness in a lighthearted, relatable fashion. And just yeah. a lot of the books we've been reading lately, I've mentioned that we've read four books recently for our show and, and they've been all great, but all quite different. And couple of memoirs and just some some pretty some of them were a little bit heavier and stuff and the thing that I really loved about this book was the fact that it's different in the fact that it wasn't a memoir of a blind person's you know true life it was a fictional book with with a blind character but mm -hmm. mixed into the book so well that it was just treated like a you know like anyone else in the way that we like to look at blindness at the show of, on the show of course we we talk about blindness um, all the time but we also like to really you know start getting rid of misconceptions and showing people that really blindness, of course, is, a, is an important part, but that's just one part of who we are. And there's so many other characteristics. And I also just think being a novella and being shorter, it was just a nice contrast from a lot of these other books that are amazing as well, but just so much longer. And as Carrie mentioned, these difficult times, it was just a really nice little escape for a few hours when I read the book in Braille here. Uh, recently. So. Oh, did you? Wow. <clears throat> well, Brian, I have to first say thank you for the compliment. Um, I really did make it an effort. I did make an effort to um, genuinely try to make this book light while touching on deep subjects. Um, even the concept of um, Max uh, in the book, um, I'm, I'm very, one of the things that I'm trying to do is to say, you are more than what you think or others say define you. That white cane is not what defines this character Everly. And in, and I give a glimpse of that with the character of Max, the dog. He is by far my favorite character in the book. Mine too. 
And, <laughs> and one of the most precious things about um, how they interact is when she first meets Max, um, <clears throat> Cam is very concerned that she is going to be afraid because of Max's breed. Um, Max is a pit bull. And we all know in society that, that pit bulls carry this, this sense of that they are a, a very strong, um, can be powerful, can be very difficult dog. But because Everly does not see Max's exterior, she only immediately embraces his interior. She never comments on what breed he is and instantly falls in love with her. And in the same way, Max just becomes one of her friends. And it was another way for me to show him without saying that we are not what people see all the time. We are who we are from our inside out. And it's very important that people take the time to meet us on the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, blindness really does carry with it stigma and ju yes. people judge it, even, you know, even with well-meaning people. And the same, obviously, so you can, I guess, relate a bit with a, a dog breed like a pit bull where mm -hmm. people automatically assume it's going to be dangerous. And it's only how these animals are treated by humans that mm. and can yeah. make them, you know, dangerous in, in any way. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, lovely. Yeah, the, the relationship between her and Max, the dog, is just lovely in the book. Thank you. Yeah, so maybe for our listeners, just to give, just to give like a very brief summary of the book, obviously, we don't want to give it away to the listeners or anything, but just so everyone knows, Everly is, is one, of the, one of the main characters in the book. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of a quick summary you'd like to give on, uh, on the book and what inspired you to write it, I guess, as well. Of course, I'd love to do that. So Everly is the um, blind main character. I, um, I worked very hard to make sure that she was the one saving and not the one being saved. She is truly our heroine. Uh, it's a fun, quick read. It does have Christian undertones. It is clean and sweet, meaning that there is no on-page sex or swearing. It's something that <clears throat> all ages can enjoy reading um, but it is contemporary and that it's set in about 2000, uh, 2019 in the town of Blowing Rock, North Carolina. The series is a You Are On The Air series. And although each of the 26 books are standalone, one for each letter of the alphabet, uh, the main theme that pulls them all together is that each one has to do with the radio station. Some of the books, such as uh, Dial M, um, M for My Heart Radio, is uh, it, it's truly about a radio station, and then there's dial F for family, and that one is where a family calls into a radio station, so it's not that there's a, a host. But in this book, Dial E for Endearment, that I wrote, Everly is actually the host. Um, and I want to interject here. Um, something came up the other day about how does Everly actually deal with the equipment if she's blind? Um, I had seven blind individuals read this book, one with a uh, communications and media degree, and she kind of helped me through that. And I was, I was trying to be as authentic and as plausible as possible to make Everly uh, truly be able to work. And now that I'm meeting with you guys, I'm learning this is just really an amazing feat of um, what you have to go through because you can't actually, uh, like a traditional setup, see the screen and how to edit and so forth. But in this story, Everly is um, just trying to figure out how she, as a radio talk show host for um, um, 
Choose Joy Radio, where she has this radio program where she helps others with dating advice. And she's trying to figure out how can she find this, give her advice to herself? How can she find a love of her own? And what she's coming up against is people see her for this white cane. So one of those things, Brian, that you mentioned when I purposed in my heart that I really wanted to reach the community, the, the, the everyday reader community, to show them that a blind person, a person who carries a cane, or anyone with a disability needs to be seen for more than who they are. As you go in through the story, uh, we come into contact with Everly's mother. And even in that situation where Everly has this almost a chip on her shoulder about her mom and what her mom has done because she feels like she's just pushed her away all of these years and doesn't realize that even her mom is not who she, who Everly has placed in her mind that she is. Her mom genuinely loves and cared for her and is doing the very best that she can. So I've set up a lot of different little things about the book, but I think if you wrap it all up in one place, the whole theme throughout the story is um, not only accepting yourself for who you are, but remembering to learn to see others for who they are on the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think that that really touches as well on the what we were talking about earlier about you don't really know often what people are or how they're feeling. And I think that also comes through a lot with, with Everly on the radio where she's kind of you know trying to pretend that everything's all great when really she's dealing with a lot of stuff going on in her head. And I think that's just yeah. such a common thing in, in the world that often we can't, we never truly show our own, our, ourselves in a lot of situations until we really get to know someone. So oftentimes we're so, people can be so judgmental without really getting to know someone. And I just think that's a theme, common theme throughout the book that uh, makes, makes a lot yeah. of sense. I also find as a writer myself, I mean, just recently I was reading a, a piece I've re- I wrote to a, a writing group I'm in and right away they said, well, okay, I have one question, Carrie, how are you doing these, how are you writing like that or this or this part of it if you can't see? And I think <laughs> the problem we come up against, which I really support more blind writers uh, writing about that experience, the experience of their own blindness just to show the world. But hopefully, you know, if, if a reader comes across a character and, and is, 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 something in the, in the character is not believable, they aren't able mm. to get into the story. But my worry with this sort of thing, until we normalize blindness a little more and get people to look under the surface, is that people, people who don't know much about blindness at all are never going to be able to, are going to have trouble getting into a character or into a story because they start thinking, well, how is, this isn't authentic. How is this writer possibly writing about this <laughs> stuff that they can't possibly see or without really understanding, you know, well, maybe there's another way of seeing or this is how they experience it that you just don't understand. And so I, I find that tricky. I don't know if you've found that at all tricky or if you come across that in your, any feedback you've gotten from sighted readers or... Um... I actually did, actually, just the other day, get something from a sighted reader about he had seen the movie Sneakers with Robert Redford years ago, and it always bothered him that um, he was using this big monitor when he was blind. Uh, and it just really bothered him that that was visually on the show. And I, and so it was important to me to, before I even gave it to um, my readers for review, I gave it to these seven authors to say, please read this to make sure 
it is plausible. And it's not just how Everly deals with things uh, technically on um, in the radio station, but it's getting around. And I, I just kind of allude to that when Pam says, how does she even know to turn at this point? But I think we become so familiar with things um, even the Uber driver is courteous and just says, you know, 30 degrees to the right, and you'll find the, stay at the steps about 50 paces ahead. You know, there are things that I don't really believe that the sighted community recognizes are simple, helpful hints to um, a person. I tell you one thing, I sure would appreciate it if when I walked into a room, if somebody would say, by the way, there's a wet sign, floor sign, 10 paces ahead, because I swear it's like a magnet. I hit those things every day. <laughs> we just, I just knocked one over yesterday when we were actually at the, at the university um, <laughs> doing a live show. So have, it does happen all the time. Yeah. Wow. It's funny how these experiences we've all had are sort of coming together like this. Yes. And I just have to mention, we also we also have a nephew <laughs> named Max. So I just had to mention that. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Um, <laughs> and that happened in the last book we reviewed as well, that there were two <laughs> there were two guide dogs in the book. And this these were this was true. I um, mean, both of the guide dogs were named after uh, family members as well. So it's just such so many coincidences lately that. Yes. Uh, yes. But there's one line in the book that I like when, like you said, Cam says, uh, asks her how she knows. And she says, I may not see, but I can still observe. Right. Yeah. So people yeah. who can't who who've never been blind and have never been around it very often enough, they don't understand that there are other ways of sensing things. And that's just how we get th get it, get by in the world. It's just it doesn't make sense to them if they haven't experienced it. And so I hope that you're, um, the readers of this book and, and any other with a blind character from a blind person's uh, perspective are able to open their minds a little bit and realize whether it's fiction or not, you know, they, they might need to realize that, you know, this character knows what they're talking about. So just go with it and, and learn maybe something from yeah. that. So. Well stated. Yeah. So how, uh, how's COVID been for you? I mean, just to, get to visit this topic once in the episode, um, how has it been? How's it affected the writing process or how's it, you know, has it done anything different, you think, with the release of the book? Has it, well, has curious, it affected that, it? <laughs> COVID is actually what got me started. So I um, had been a beta reader for several different authors and um, my cocky little self one day is reading a book and I'm like, oh, seriously, I can do better than this. And I couldn't. <laughs> uh, writing is very difficult. Um, and so I just put that book away and I said, I'm not going to do this. I don't have the time. And at that moment, I was the director and founder of an English as a Second Language program at my church. And that program, just because of COVID and how uh, many rooms that we needed and the cleaning of the facilities and so forth, we closed that program. And that was the moment I said, I have no more excuses. I have the time. I need to write this book. And so I, I wrote my very first debut novel, uh, Desire of My Heart. It's a historical fiction. I wrote about something that I knew, and it was about path that Rachel goes through as she has a tremendous and deep loss. Now, her loss is not eyesight, but it was my story through um, this character of Rachel. And I had a lot of fun writing the book. And I thought, you know what? I am now a published author. I've uploaded this thing to Amazon and I've met my goal. And I did not expect to sell anything, uh, but this book did extremely well. And so I wrote the second book and I'm working on the third. So for me, COVID was actually the catalyst that got me out of my uncomfortable zone of 
should I um, figure out other ways to do an English as a second language program online? What should I do? And the truth is, um, my ESL program had been that platform for me to share my personal faith. I am a Christ follower. And so I always want to share the love of Christ with other people. And so you don't want to just walk up to somebody and bang a Bible over their head. You certainly want to create a relationship. And that's what English as a Second Language did for me. I am in love with these women. These women have come to America. They are trying so hard and they're trying to learn the English language. And they're very appreciative of what uh, this program has done for them. When I lost that platform, I needed another way to share what is in my heart that I feel is important to me to share it with other people. And so I work very hard to weave into my books through the life of a realistic character who Christ is to me and share that with other people so that they can see the same hope that I have. Because losing your sight for me, it was I felt like I had lost my hope. I had, now what is my purpose? What am I going to do? Do I have value? And so being able to find joy in my heart, to choose joy every day, and to see hope in the future, what I am capable of doing and how I am still able to be the me that I am in a brand new way, that is important to me. Yeah, and I think COVID has really made a lot of us reassess things in our, in our lives. And uh... So yeah, I just I had a feeling that uh, you had a story um, behind that too, um, through writing, and so yeah, it's great. It's been a very common thing for a lot of creative people, and I've given this example on the show before, but it was the same for me with my music, where I'm in a band and we recorded some stuff back at the end of 2016, but couldn't quite finish mixing it and and finished a couple parts and get it done. But then the pandemic hit, and we kind of just you know had got sort of stuck at home and. One day, a friend was just like, "Can I, I want to hear one of our songs. And I sent it out. And from there, it got us the ball rolling again. And we finished it and, and released it. So I just think it has been, you know, to try to find a silver lining and everything. And I think that's a lot of what this book is, is look, focusing on joy and, and these things that, you know, of course, we all have negative things we deal with. But at the same point, if you really trying to focus on the positives and focus on hope and have that. And, and I think uh, this, this pandemic, we needed that. And I think uh, it sort of provided that that time for us to all kind of take a moment and, and uh, reassess and figure out what we wanted to do, to do. Yes, I think that one of the other things the pandemic did is not just from the author perspective, but from the reader perspective, I think that readers actually um, didn't just devour anything that came across their path. I think they were more choosy. Um, and so I wanted to create this book of Dialy for Endearment to be lighthearted to shed some light on disability, but I also wanted to deal with something deep. And the other aspect of this book is this relationship that she has with her mom um, is so difficult. And when we have all been home, some of us with our children, um, some of us completely alone, uh, those times make you realize the importance of family and connection. And so I, I wanted to make sure in Dialing for Endearment that we wrapped up something that was deep in Everly's heart of her misunderstanding of, of what she and her mom's connection had always been and why this relationship was the way it was. Um, and I think that I, I was able to portray um, not only her mom being able to share her story, but Everly providing that forgiveness that was needed. Mm -hmm. 
I was just going to say that February is Low Vision Awareness Month, and so this is a great book to be released in February. We're coming off White Cane Week here in Canada, uh, but uh, I believe that this is Low Vision Awareness Month in the States. So uh, our guest today is Heidi Gray McGill, and she's coming to us from, I guess, right on the border of the Carolinas. Um, <laughs> but thank you for being on the show today on Outlook, and yeah, we'll be back uh, to talk more about uh, Heidi and the book in the second half. Outlook. On Radio Western. Welcome back to Outlook on Radio Western today. You're listening live on February 14th or as a podcast after the fact. We are talking today with Heidi Gray McGill. Uh, she's a, an author who just had a novella released first of the, on the first of the month called Dial E for Endearment. E and we were talking about the, the radio part of this book. And uh, I have to say, it's funny just that, you know, we're doing the show and we do our show on the radio. And I also kind of had, I also had Frasier, the, the show, the Kelsey Grammer show in my head when I was reading about this, this advice radio um, host. So, yeah, I really wanted to bring up that, that coincidence <laughs> earlier because, you know, I imagine, I don't know, have you been on any um, radio shows yet, Heidi, or m more, more so podcasts? Because our show is both. But the thing that I do love is, I still have a love, a real deep love for actual radio, and that's why I host this show, and then I also have a music show on the Radio Western here in uh, London, Ontario. So radio is such a big thing for me, and, and I love podcasts too, but the thing I love about radio is the immediacy and the spontaneity and the fact that it's interesting that Carrie and I are talk show hosts, and in, in a sense on this show here, you're the caller. So it, it just has that similarity, and I just think that's uh, really neat. So I was also just kind of curious if... If, if you've had a connection to radio in your life, I mean, I know you were invited to contribute to this series, so it's more the series that's focused on the radio, but I just was curious, too, if you've had connections with radio growing up and if it's meant something to you. Ryan, I actually have never thought, first of all, about the fact that this does kind of go with Frasier. <laughs> that's pretty yeah, interesting. Carrie, that's Carrie, very, point, that's awesome. Perry, yes. Um, but I do not have a connection to radio. And so this is my first opportunity to share this book uh, on live radio. I genuinely appreciate that. Yeah, it's quite the, it's, quite, it's a great theme in the book and it fits with what we do here. So <laughs> just Some had to make Two blind uh, radio show hosts right here. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we like to watch the advice we give. Uh, we aren't really trained on yeah, any of that. It's not really but, a full-out uh, call-in show where it's like call after call no. after call that we do. So we're not quite used to that format, but it, I've listened to shows like that, and it's definitely an interesting Yeah, yeah that's always a good, a good platform to listen to. But Kara, you were uh, also mentioning before the break that February in, I believe more in the U.S., is Low Vision Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. So also a great time to, to release this book, I imagine. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it is very interesting to me that um, people have not quite understood yet the difference between low vision and the need for a cane and blindness. So I have low vision. I have retinitis pigmentosa. I'm down to 5% of my peripheral vision. Um, I've lost my sense of colors. Uh, and most of the days uh, when it's rainy, things just look like everything is in a fog. So I do still have some of my vision. I am able to utilize uh, traditional software. I use Word to write my books. 
I just do it at short clips at a time. And I have a three quarter inch mouth with a three quarter inch tail on it that I often cannot find on my screen. <laughs> so, you know, there are little things that um, you work with, but I do use a white cane when I am out and about on my own. In fact, I've traveled to China uh, on my own with that cane. It was quite fascinating. I have taken out my fair share of toddlers in the process, but mm. it's uh, it's almost like Moses and the Red Sea, how that cane will part the waters, boy, when you're in a busy airport, <laughs> people actually notice. Um, but that is kind of always interesting when they I make eye contact with someone and they're like, wait a minute, are you blind or are you not blind? Um, yeah. And so one of the low vision awareness uh, misconceptions is I do need that cane. And it is not just uh, for guidance uh, because I cannot see. It is to help me be aware of my surroundings to keep me safe. Um, like those ridiculous yellow floor signs when there's you know water on the floor. Um, if I didn't have that cane, I would often miss those things. I have done my fair share of walking into poles in the middle of Home Depot because I just knew that it was all good. And then there's this hole in the middle. Like, why would it be there? Um, and I'm not the only one uh, who goes through these things. People who don't need a cane hit them as well. But low yeah. vision is, is something that is different and unique for every person. None of us go through it the same way. Um, so for me, a white cane is uh, truly a helpful tool that I am able to use so that I can be more independent. Mm -hmm. And we often talk about that on Outlook. We talked about it just last week on the show. I talk about it all the time. You know, our experiences are different. Brian has always just been had a light perception since he was born. And but I, I grew up with low vision. And now I'm closer to nearly bl totally blind, kind of like you, everything's really sort of hazy. Mm -hmm. I have no col color anymore. But I used to have color. And so you know, things like that, like, that's when it does get tricky sometimes to that you can't find some hope in these situations because you do you do miss things that you used to have and love that are gone now. Mm. Um, so it is important to, to focus on things that we do have, but it's just great that we talk about that. And I think it's funny you mentioned uh, Moses and the parting of the, the woman, Brian. So Leona, who wrote the book, Their Plant Eyes, A, a Personal mm. and Cultural History of Blindness. I'm not sure if you've heard of that book. I have not. Uh, it's worth checking out. Uh, I think it's, it, we talked about it a lot last year when it was released. She actually calls her cane Moses. Oh, that's really funny. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, great uh, connection there. But you mentioned China, and, and like I used my cane in 2017 to take to go to Mexico, and uh, you know, I met people there for a writing workshop. But I did travel by myself, and mm -hmm. really do rely on it when you are out in the world like that in in these far off places. So China, you know, I can't I can't really imagine what took you there. I have a girlfriend who is Chinese and lives there, and I've visited uh, twice now, so 2011 and 2017, um, and it has just been a wonderful experience that her son came here for college, and uh, it was just nice to be able to have that very unique connection, but I'm telling you, going through that Shanghai airport when no one wants to speak English to you and you're about to miss your flight is pretty, mm. pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I almost miss mine in, in an airport, uh, not in Mexico. It was on the way still, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, you really got to be uh, paying attention in, in an airport setting and uh, yeah, I can imagine the language barrier. And mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not at all familiar what it's like to be, to travel as, as a blind person in China. Um, but it sounds like it was quite the experience for you. Yes, very much so. And have you been watching the Olympics? I don't know if you're interested in that at all, but. 
I have not. I just, yeah, I have neither. not had the time. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, of course, you're focusing on the release of this book and everything yeah. that's going yeah, on this month. promotion so. this month. Mm-hmm. For anyone who is just tuning in or has been listening, we're speaking today with Heidi Gray McGill, author of the brand new novella, Dial E for Endearment. Highly recommend you check it out. And I just thought we'd maybe veer away from the book just briefly and talk if, if, if there's anything specific you want to share with our listeners, but just maybe a little bit about your background growing up and then, then your low vision and kind of how that's been throughout your life. I imagine you could, like, I don't know where that's at compared to where it used to be. And just, I know it's an adjustment. And like Carrie mentioned, I was born blind. So for me, it's always been the same. My vision's never changed. So it's not really something I think about, but maybe just talk any background you want to share with our listeners of, of your life. And then maybe just a little bit about the, the, vis- the losing some vision and kind of how, you, how that was for you. Absolutely. Thanks, Brian, for that opportunity. So I uh, grew up in a pastor's home. I am a PK, and it was one of those situations where I was the good girl, not your typical PK kid who was always the one being rebellious and getting into trouble. Um, I had a tremendous desire to um, just be very obedient. I loved my parents. My dad was the same man on Monday that he was on Sunday. Uh, That is a truly amazing thing to say about a pastor. And so growing up, I was always very careful to do whatever my parents said, um, because I, that was just the nature of my heart. I got married and married a wonderful man. We had two children and we were living in a small community in the middle of the state. And uh, I was asked if I would be willing to help another brand new Christian woman to um, help grow her in her faith. So you have to understand that being as a pastor's kid, it's, um, it's like being the child of a NASCAR race driver. You know the parts of the car. Um, you know, you probably have been behind the wheel. So I knew if I didn't know the answers, I at least knew where to find the answers. Um, but what happened was rather than me mentoring this young woman, she changed my life. She challenged me on many things, and I had not really ever considered who I was. Um, I just had gone with what was given to me. I was the pastor's daughter. I was the person who did X, Y, Z, and those things just became who I was, and I never questioned those things, but she helped me realize that all this time, I had most likely than just trying to please the wrong father. I was trying to please my earthly father and not my heavenly father. And my life changed. So at 32 years old, here I am with two children. And for the first time in my life, I am starting to realize who I am as a person. It's very challenging. I had, it was not an easy transition for me. So for most people, as we've been talking about through this book, um, they just still saw who I was on the outside. Uh, nothing seemed to change because my actions didn't change. I didn't go from a drug addict to someone who was reformed. I was still the same character. I had just changed on the inside. And so people didn't really see that transformation inside of me, but I knew there was something different. A couple of years later, um, after my girls were born, um, these same girlfriends and I, we were sitting out uh, walking around, and I ran smack into a tree. Um, I had fallen many times before that, and I just thought, 
something is not right, but they had tremendous concern and they asked me to go get tested. Uh, they thought maybe you have MS, maybe something's going on with your muscles. You just fall all the time. It ended up that I was perfectly healthy. Uh, I did get my eyes checked. And at that point, at first diagnosis, I was down to 20% with the peripheral vision with retinitis pigmentosa. And I honestly, Carrie, I know that you are going to understand this because you've lost your sight. I was so angry and I was just devastated. My heart was broken. And I remember I had, I had just grown so much in my faith with God. I remember sitting down and just furiously angry at God and saying, this is not fair. I do not understand why when I am trying so hard to do what is right and to please you that this would happen to me. Why, why is this? I want to be able to see my children grow up. I want to be able to see who they get married to and graduate from high school and college. And I was listing all of these things of what I wanted to see. And when you are a believer in Christ, it is not that you can audibly hear God's voice, but you can sense his presence when you are paying attention. And I truly sensed his presence saying to me, seriously, Heidi, you do not need your vision to see any of those things. What does it matter what your son-in-law looks like as long as his heart is right? What does it matter what dress your daughter wears when she crosses the stage? It's the fact that you are able to be with her and enjoy this moment. You don't need your vision to be able to see the beauty that I have created for you. And so once more, it was another growth spurt for me um, that I just enveloped and took on this new mantra of choose joy. And it became an everyday moment. So before my feet would hit the floor in the morning, I would think of one thing I was thankful for that day. And within weeks, it became, I couldn't stop. I mean, I was like, okay, I got to get out of bed uh, because there was just so much to be thankful for. And so choosing joy has become what keeps my focus moving forward so that I'm not reminded of all of those things that I have left behind. Carrie, one of the things you mentioned was um, there are things that we miss. I desperately miss driving the freedom of just being able to go somewhere. Uh, but now I look at it as it's the beauty of, I have the opportunity to connect with another person for the time that we are in the car together. It is a choice that I make of choosing what I am gonna focus on. And so it was that was part of my motivation with this writing is I wanted to get my story out. And sometimes it's easier to put it on paper than it is to say it in person. Uh, there's, there's no feedback, so you can just keep talking. Um, but it also is you can choose your words carefully. And so writing has become for me a wonderful way for me to continue my growth process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for sure. For me, when I, when I wasn't able to enjoy colors anymore, I couldn't draw as such. Uh, I, I discovered writing. I, I'm not one of these people that was really a, a writer since, you know, I was, I could pick up a pencil at age three or four or something, but uh, right. I discovered it and it, it's, it's sort of rescued me. So yeah. Well, I love discussing that with other writers who've gone through similar things. Yeah. Brian, I would think music has done the same for you. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's definitely been the, that thing that's always been there. And it's just, it keeps, always gives me hope because I'm always, I'm very into discovering new music is my big thing. And a lot of sort of independent um, bands and, and stuff on smaller labels. So for me, it's that excitement that gets me up every day is that, you know, there's so much being created out there. And there's always going to be throughout my entire life, something new to look forward to in that. And, and mm. that just is one thing that really does keep me going day to day. And um, so I'm, you know, always <laughs> thankful for that. Because it's uh, yeah, and I think that with music, music has always been important to me as well. There's this underlying theme of you have something that you like, but if you tweak it slightly, it becomes something brand new, and that's fascinating to me. Um, it could just be an additional uh, instrument. It could be a change of a beat. Well, it's the same thing with books. And Carrie, I know you understand this. It is um, when I am writing historical fiction, I'm in a different place in time. When I'm writing this new contemporary romance, again, I have changed. Things are different. Um, and so it's always exciting and new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Art is what makes life worth living. And as you said, connection with others. Absolutely. So finding joy is a big theme in this book, for sure. And uh, so then what kind of things bring you joy, um, obviously, other than writing? Oh, I love that question. I have two grandsons. Oh, my goodness. I did not know being a grandparent was going to be as wonderful as this. <laughs> I absolutely love watching them grow. Um, they are so inquisitive, uh, two and a half and three months. And it doesn't matter if they can communicate properly or not. Um, we have the most wonderful time together. Uh, so being with my grandchildren is super fun. One of the other things that I do is I scrapbook. So when I first learned of my eye disease, it had uh, happened so quickly within probably a two-year period of time, I dropped to 20%. Um, We uh, made the assumption that I would lose my rest of my vision probably as quickly. And so I didn't know how much time I had. And I am a visual learner, which is not a good thing for a blind person. So, I think I am too, maybe. Do you really? <laughs> I think I am too, to a point as well. And I think I just wanted to quick mention that because it's something we bring up on this show quite a bit is, you know, if, if, if you have the right resources growing up and stuff, like for me, like I was raised on so many tactile maps and reading Braille. And I think to me, that's different than listening to a book because it activates that same part of the brain that has visual memory where I'm, you know, I have memory of what a, what a sentence feels like or what a word feels like. And I think that in my mind rather than you know the exact spelling or or the exact you know logistics of that word it's more just oh brought feels like this and it's just yeah. i think that ties into wow. the same thing so i just wanted to mention that but it makes no sense to people when you say i i can't see but i'm a visual right. learner right people don't right understand. right so one of the things i decided i wanted to do was i wanted to scrapbook i wanted to get my memories on paper i didn't do it for anybody else if my children take those books and throw them in the trash can when I'm gone. That's not going to hurt. It is that I did this for me. I wanted to cement those memories. And it was a wonderful experience of seeing uh, not only how I had grown as a person, um, but how little tiny things brought me to the place where I was actually able to write this book, um, where I had uh, been forced to write an article. And I it 
I labored over it for months of getting this article written and then it was published. And that feeling in my heart of, I did something, I actually published and that was super exciting. So there were little things that I recognized that I had never even considered had I not gone back and actually physically put these memories on paper. I, I probably would have not seen the progression that happened. Mm -hmm. True, yeah. If you, if you sort of document it, you're, that's kind of what we do uh, now audibly with uh, these podcasts and with other audio projects we've worked, we've worked on Brian and I together is that it sort of documents your a life and yeah. a lot of people, you know, have photos on their phone. And uh, so this is another way, these are other ways of being artistic and creative and being, you know, having some self-expression. Yeah. And speaking of audio, I just wanted to quick mention or quick ask, will there be, is there an audio book in the works for this as well? Cause I, as far as I'm aware, I don't think, I think it's only available in text at the moment. That is correct. Actually, it's available in text and just came out in paper book. Uh, because the series is individual authors, uh, it probably is not the best uh, platform or format for me to put it into audio audiobooks. Um, my other books will go into an audiobook format at some point. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive yeah. to yeah, put it into a whole other step, right? It's a whole other thing to sure do. Is. And and it's just, it's yeah. one of those things that I ask. I mean, for me personally, I love Braille, so it, it doesn't affect me, but I just know there, you know, unfortunately Braille isn't uh, as taught, well taught as it could be. And I know there are a lot of blind people out there that maybe don't read it, but I also know you're, you're aiming to reach other readers and, and the casual sighted reader who, you know, just comes across this blind character in a book and, and make, you know, normalizes that so much more that I think that that's also a big part of it. But um, I was just, I was more curious. Well, thank you. But I want to also say I'm, I'm, so impressed. I, I could not even memorize the alphabet with Braille. So I'm very impressed that you were able to read. But one of the things I recognized as different blind authors for reading this book is when a book is read to you, there is a sense of you lose what you think. It's sort of the same as reading a book and then watching a movie and you're like, that is not how I pictured that character in my mind. That's not how that happened. So for me to read text on paper, I am creating this image in my mind all by myself, and it's mine. I have made this book a part of me, whereas when you are reading Braille, it's the same thing. If a book is read to you, you are taking my view of the book and the intonations that I put in my voice, to, uh, and then you can't create it on your own. So there's a, a huge beauty to be able to read Braille. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, we've known it all our lives. So it was like learning to read like anybody. Like might, anybody. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember it, right? It's such a natural yeah. thing. But, but that is a really good point. And I think that is, that's, that's, that's what it is, is that if you have a book read to you, which of course is, is also a totally fine method and, oh, and some wonderful. people don't have the option and it's great that there's so many options out there. But I am really fortunate to know Braille because I do think it provides that different experience to where you, you create things a little mm -hmm. bit more in your own head. And, and then if someone else is reading it, they have a certain tone in their voice or whatever it is that, you know, puts their spin on it a little bit to take that your imagination out maybe to a certain degree so yeah and that was in the dialing for endearment because i knew that i wanted to reach out to not only the sighted but the blind community i worked pretty hard to put in sound of what something would sound like with the coffee cup when it hit on the table and how it when it moved across the table what was that sound um so that individuals could understand what Everly was experiencing. Yes, yes and that's, sure. that's definitely something else I wanted to comment on. And Carrie, 
We talk about this on our show quite a bit too about writing. And I mean, it's a little different for someone who's totally blind as a writer. And we talk about how do you write um, visual descriptions if you've never seen. But I guess in this, right. in this situation, it's a little different because you have had sight and you still do have some sight. So it sort of puts you in that yeah. same position. But at the same point, you're writing about a blind character. So you want to incorporate that. And I just, I think you did a really great job of, of describing all of the different senses. And sometimes people don't think about how to describe sounds or smells or all these things. And I just think you did a great job. And I just really wanted to quick read one of this one little passage here, Carrie, because there's something at the very end of it in particular that you often comment on. And, and I know what you mean. And it's, it just, I just think it really outlines it very well. When you describe Everly's voice as smooth as room temperature butter, it isn't quite seductive, more alluring with a professional touch. And then you say, and there is always a smile in her voice. And Carrie, mm-hmm. you always bring that up when someone's talking and you're like, I can tell they're smiling by their voice. And maybe yeah. the listeners can tell right now I'm smiling by my voice. But um, I just thought that really cool that you mentioned that because I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to and know uh, what, be able to imagine what uh, you're describing. Thank you. Yeah. No, there's so many things that you wrote about and that you've said today on this interview that, I, that we can totally connect with. Um, we aren't grandparents, obviously, but we, are, um, we have nieces and nephews now. And so we've we got to see our, our parents become grandparents and yeah. just ourselves as, as aunt, aunt and uncle now, just experiencing the world through their, their eyes is, has made it a whole new magical place to be in my mind. And so mm-hmm. um, it's been so great talking today because there's so many things we didn't even get to today. I'd lo- we'd love to have you back some other time to discuss some oh, other I things. I would be honored. We still, we still have a so few much. minutes. We still have a few minutes left here today. We're speaking with Heidi Gray McGill, author of a brand new book, Dial E for Endearment. And yeah, Kara, if you have uh, at least one more good question, I think we still have a few minutes here. And then I did have one other one I was going to maybe finish off on. I was just, um, I was looking for some motivation today. I actually have a public speaking course that I'm doing tonight. And it's my turn to come up with a motivational moment. And I found this quote on your website, or this, I mean, I found this, um, yeah, from this man, I hadn't heard of him before. So I was looking him up. And so I found this quote, um, he says, your present circumstances don't determine where you can go. They've merely determined where you start. That's exactly right. Truly so, one of my favorites. Yeah, I'm not sure how you say his name exactly. Nido Kubine? Your, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he's an American Jordanian businessman and uh, public speaker, motivational speaker. And so I'm, I'm going to actually go back and listen to more, some more of his videos after this interview, preparing for tonight. And uh, I just love that quote in particular. And uh, I wondered, yeah, what he meant to you or how you came across him. You know, I haven't done a whole lot of research on him as a person, but that quote was very strong. And it came at a point where I just felt like I didn't know where to start. Um, and so mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that sometimes you just need to take a step. Um, you know, when you first, I don't know if you experienced this because you guys started so young, but when I was blindfolded and I was taking my very first step with a cane, before I took my, my, um, my mask on, my blinders over my eyes on, I already knew that in front of me was a straight sidewalk with no obstacles. Yet when my eyes were closed and I put that cane out, it was tremendous fear. Mm-hmm. And it's not even realistic. I already knew what was in front of me. The board was nothing. There was nothing there. I had, you know, five and a half feet of a cane to give me a left 
right sweep so that I would not step on anything or trip. I already knew that in front of me, the sidewalk was straight, that there were no bumps, there were no pine cones. Yet, the fear was there, but I still had to move forward. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a great message for anyone listening, whether we're talking about losing some vision or whatever it might be. And in this pandemic, for myself, you know, things are so uncertain and, and things are kind of so scary. At, at times and uh and that does relate back to the blindness that i'm still you know dealing with that all the time everybody mm-hmm. thinks i've been blind all my life but really you know it's been such flux that i can totally relate with all of that and uh so sometimes what you logically know <laughs> does not translate and so you know we have to use every tool we have including the cane including our faith including whatever we have support from others and uh and so yeah i i don't know this this businessman uh, and sp- speaker he just a little bit i've heard of him so far he seems very he seems like he's very good at finding humor in things. And so mm-hmm. that's what your, that's what your book was. And that's what, um, it's important to, to he- see those lessons in life. And so it's been great talking today to, um, share that sort of thing with each other. Yes, this has been awesome today. Thanks again so much to Heidi Gray McGill for coming on Outlook, author of the brand new book, Dial E for Endearment. Go look it up, check it out, read it. And I thought I would end with one more question, similar to what Carrie asked earlier, but I'm going to be more specific. And I wanted to ask, what's one thing that brought you joy today? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so I, this is actually a little silly, but I ran into a wall two days ago and I have this awesome shiner. I mean, it is impressive. And so what brought me joy today? I was able to do this without it being a visual podcast or, or mm-hmm. a visual connection. Love it. You know, truly, uh, Brian, it's not that there is something that comes into my life. I didn't get a piece of mail saying I won $1,000. I didn't um, step on the scale and realize I'd lost 10 pounds. That is not what I'm talking about when I say when things bring me joy, it is finding that one thing that you can turn something inside out. You can find that silver thread in that nasty cloud of darkness. You can look for and anticipate there is always something good in everything. It's not a Pollyanna complex. It is not um, saying there is no bad. It's simply choosing something that you can look at and say, I can turn this into a positive light. And so that's mine for today. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much for coming on Outlook today. And thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook facebook.com slash outlook on radio western